We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings. Behind the scenes of fantasy football and fantasy football content creation. Yes, this is going to be a sprawling chat uh, with no real direction, but I want to give a sort of behind-the-scenes look of what actually goes on. Because I think that a lot of people see it from the outside, and you know, a lot of people think that it, this is a dream job if you can get paid to do it, which you are not wrong about, by the way. It is a dream job to be able to do this, but there's a lot that goes into it that maybe that you guys don't necessarily see or don't even know. I know a lot of people know. I know some people don't know. Hey, give me the picks is what they want. But what goes into giving the picks and that kind of thing and getting people to watch and actually creating a career out of this and just sort of the time commitments or lack of time commitments that it takes to a lot of this stuff. So I want everyone to smash the like button to the video because that is very helpful to everyone. Uh, subscribe to Mayo Media Network. Share the show around if you find this chat interesting. And in the comment section, I don't know, we need to rig, we need comments to rig the algorithm somehow. So give me one piece of content that is not out there right now that you think that you would like to see. Now, whether or not I can do that or not, someone else can do it or not, I just, you know, it's that's invaluable stuff to know. Like, what is lacking in the marketplace right now for fantasy football? Because it seems like there's a never-ending stream of different things going on within either the video space, the podcasting space, the written space, the social media space. But what is sort of a gap that you see right now that you think that can be filled? And actually, I mean, it doesn't even need to be profitable. It can just be out there. Like, IDP is one that people talked about for years that people just don't do. It's because no one fucking plays IDP. So no one who is trying to make money at this wants to focus on IDP because it's not going to bring in any money. So to break this down with me are two other content creators who we can talk about process, we can talk about goals, we can talk about how you can actually sustain a living first up from dailyroto.com, from sportsgrid.com, host of the Take Cast. It is Davis Maddock, everyone's favorite guest. What's going on? You know, not much. Very excited to uh, have this conversation where I get to complain about my job that people think that I am not qualified to have. That's uh, that's really my goal here is to just put people on on massive tilt. Well, it'll be good for the uh, rigging the algorithm in the comment section because I'm going to get five. The first five comments are like, Davis is on. I'm not listening. So you know, that actually helps us out. <laughs> so it's always like when I used to have Siege. When I used to have Siege on all the time, people just be really triggered that Siege was on. It's like, you're actually helping us by like commenting on how much you hate Siege. It was 
just like propel the views to the video to go up. Also, you can find him over at the Pete Overzet YouTube channel. It's Pete Overzet. Now, first time full year in fantasy football creation as like a full timer. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even uh, coming up on a full year. I mean, I'm like two and a half months in. Uh, but yeah, very excited to be here and talking IDP with you guys today. Of course, <laughs> we got to break down uh, who's going to see the most tackles so far at middle line, outside linebacker that you can really mine that safe floor from your linebacker position. But I don't, I, I don't really even know where I want to start with with this conversation. I guess I can lead it with me. I've been doing full-time fantasy football content since 2009. So I am going into season either 12 or 13 of this now. And fun fact, I didn't get paid until 2013, despite the fact that I was doing it full time. It's just so different how my priorities have changed over that time. Like I was like, you know, the work weeks have actually gotten shorter somehow with the more efficient that I've become at doing this and just learn skills over time. And you know, I used to write a 5,000 word column every single week for like six years, Davis. It would take me 18 hours to write. Like I'd basically just smoke a joint start at 5 p.m and finish up at like 10 a.m the next morning and just like try to submit it and it's full of like craziness people seem to like that i want awards for that article i don't have the time to do that anymore as you know i'm married i have two very small children i like getting up in the morning with you know at 5 30 a.m with my sons to spend time with them for two and a half hours before they go to school like that wasn't really a part of my life when i first started doing this so I guess we'll start with managing expectations about time. Like, how do you consolidate your time? I know you're big on the on the double life stack. So you both like work out and grind like news at the gym as you go along. Yeah, I mean, I, I am big on habit stacking. That's actually something that uh, I learned from a book that uh, Pete and I's buddy, Patrick Laird, introduced to us, uh, Atomic Habit. I think James Clear is the guy who wrote that. Um, so, I mean, I guess in terms of providing content, you absolutely have to stay on the news. Like you can't be in the middle of working on something and like, just realize that Latavius Murray is going to be cut and Tony Jones Jr. Is the, the second running back. And then also, you know, if you're doing a ton of drafts, which I consider to be, I, I consider doing a ton of drafts to be part of my job because I need to be able to have intelligent conversations on the TV show, on the podcast, in my written stuff. Like I, I think you can definitely tell, from people's content when they are not playing a ton of competitive fantasy football. Um, and I don't think this is the same argument as like, you can only have an opinion if you're playing high stakes. Like, I don't think that's true. Like, I don't think you need to be playing the main event or for DFS. Like, I don't think you need to be playing, you know, thousands of dollars in entries, but I think you need to be playing competitively to some degree, but also much like you, Pat, you know, my original work in fantasy and in DFS was like, I was doing a ton of written content. So I'd write, you know, my 3000 word column for DFS. I'd write uh, NBA DFS articles that would be useless in eight hours. I'd write MLB DFS articles that would be useless in eight hours. And probably the biggest transition from like 2012, 13, 14 to now is the, the lack of written content. And some people get bummed out by that. Some people really like the written content. They like to open the article, see the bolded names and be like, all right, those are the plays. But I, I mean, and I bet Pete agrees with this too. People in general tend to create a better bond. Like you find better relationships with the people who uh, engage with your content via audiovisual stuff. 
I think that depends, really. Like, I used to get far more engagement football-wise, but I get that through the course of the show now, whether it's, like, doing a live chat and responding to the YouTube comments, doing a Twitter Q&A. But, like, people used to send me, maybe it's just the way that people communicated eight years ago, but, like, I'd have my email at the bottom of my giant column. People would, like, ask me questions or be like, hey, I like this part. I didn't like this part. So I think that there was always that communication, but it just seems like you feel more connected with people, Pete, when you see them on video. It feels like you know them. Yeah, it, it does. And I, I remember experiencing that when I first started listening to podcasts. I was listening to a ton of comedy podcasts. And I remember feeling like these guys were my friends. And that was one of those moments where it really clicked for me of, wow, this is a powerful medium. Uh, I think the interesting thing, too, is just like the various feedback loops. You know, even with podcasts, like getting comments and feedback is kind of hard. I guess people can write you on Twitter and say, you know, they enjoyed something. I have that similar with the newsletter. I write the fantasy life newsletter and I don't get a ton of feedback unless I have a typo. And then I get nine DMS from people (laughs) I've never talked to, but that I think is also an interesting thing where, you know, people who do like to write and who like to tweet, I feel like the feedback mechanisms are a little bit more direct reply to this tweet comment on the article. Uh, so I think that's an interesting dynamic with it too, but yeah, the, the audio video is definitely, I think more powerful for, for helping people feel like they truly know you. And that was a big pivot for me, probably about six, seven years ago. Like I've had the podcast for about 10 years now, but it was pretty sporadic for the first few years, maybe once a week. And then when I joined the fantasy sports network, which was the first ever 24 seven fantasy sports television network, not a success, uh, turns out terrestrial TV, not the place for like canned content when stuff is changing all the time. The web was probably a bit better for that. Uh, but I started doing three times a week and then I just ended up going every single day when I started doing all the project production myself for both audio and video. I was able to support that with like 85 hour weeks, but it was something that I really wanted to do. I was gung ho about doing it. So, and I was getting paid like not a fair wage, but I was still getting paid at least. Uh, I could, you know, afford to eat, afford my rent and go out once every three weeks. And that was about it. But during football season, it's not like we were going out anyway, because we were just grinding seven days a week trying to put out all of this content. But I had the switch Davis between being someone who I think the people considered to be pretty sharp at the time, whether it was writing about baseball, whether it was writing about football to almost what Pete talked about, that I wanted to transition my show into something that was entertaining, something that people could listen to. And especially like I see it in the numbers, like when me, Cust, and Jeff get together and talk about spread picks, half the people don't even like to gamble on football, but they like that show because they feel like they're our friends, like that that's a part of it. And I think that is uniquely the hardest thing to build, especially in this space. I mean, that's like, looks like thinking about myself, like what kind of content do I enjoy the most? I mean, uh, the, the only fantasy shows that I have in my feed are your show, Pat and Peter's show ship chasing. Those are the only two fantasy shows that I subscribe to because I like you guys. You guys are my friends. I enjoy hearing you guys talk about whatever, Pat, you know, I enjoy listening to you guys talk about golf. I enjoy listening to Feinberg, like lose his mind about the chargers. I love listening to Pete get like more and more drunk over the course of a three hour stream while Pat Crane and Ben Grudge, like try to keep the, try to keep the show somewhat on the rails. And I mean, even in, in non-fantasy content, the same thing, like if I am not getting a good vibe from the host. Like if I just don't find whatever, uh, to be, you you know, amenable, then I just, I'm not gonna, it's not gonna, I'm not gonna bond with it. I'm not going to engage with it. And then the same is true 
in some ways with writing. Now, now with writing, maybe I will, uh, you know, read something on Rotoviz or whatever, where like, I have no idea the guy who, who's writing it. Like, I've never met him. I don't know who he is, but I, I have like a good feeling towards that website. And, and I actually think, Pat, you made another good point there. It's very reputationally based. So it doesn't even necessarily matter what happens or, or what the first content someone interacts with you is, whether it be written, whether it be audio, whether it be audiovisual. But like if, if it's if they are coming to it from like a good reputational uh, source, like if, you know, someone they really like tells you like, oh, this is a good podcast, this is a good article that will, you know, go a long way. Like like when Sean Siegel recommends some article on Rotoviz on his podcast, I'm probably going to go read it, even if I don't know the guy who wrote it, simply because it's coming from a source that I like trust and think would be good. How have you found, Pete, like, because it's not like you're new to the fantasy space. Obviously, the reason that you made this decision that you could do this full time is that you've been around forever creating content at the same time, but you were doing it as a part of your real life, too. Like, you had your real life, your real job, and then you were doing this on the side. Now you've kind of transitioned over into doing this full time. Has it become less fun for you yet? Because that inevitably always ends up happening. It hasn't uh, become less fun. I, I am working way more, uh, even though I was kind of doing this on the side and essentially kind of doing two jobs even before I left my job. I think now that the onus is on me uh, for everything and in my livelihood, and I, I definitely feel myself pounding the pavement more. And I, I think I've mentioned this to Davis too, but it used to be like, I, you know, I punch out at five, I'm chilling in the evening, then maybe I have a show or whatever, but now it's like, oh, I need to set myself up for tomorrow. So I've noticed way more working in the five to 8 PM range when I normally would punch out because I got to get all my ducks in a row, my administrative stuff, make sure my thumbnails are ready. The guests are booked, all that stuff that kind of starts to sneak up on you. So I, I will say though, I do really, really enjoy it. Like I get excited every day to come down to my desk, start writing the newsletter, get ready for the shows that day. I do feel extremely grateful and excited to have that feeling to know that I'm building something that where I can capture the upside. And uh, I, I think that's a, a feeling that I hope doesn't go away. It will start to grind on you on the administrative side because yeah. there's there's always so much money to go around. So when you see a lot of people being creators, they are self-creators at this point. Like uh, I, I have Paul, who is my producer, and I was only ever able to hire Paul because uh, you know, when DraftKings brought me on to go with them, like I was like, I need a producer to be able to do all this content that you want. Like I, It is unsustainable for me to continue to work 80 hours a week and do every single job by myself. And just taking away the burden of that, knowing that I had someone very capable, someone that I knew, someone that I trusted that I could rely on for this time of thing. And like one of the big things, like even with Paul, who's switching the show right now was when I went to go hire him, I knew he had the same work ethic as me. And that's just really hard to find that I need someone who's going to go at this as hard as I, as hard as I want to go and do as much content as possible. Like if someone's like, yeah, I only want to work like 15 hours a week, like that would end up being really tough. Then the onus would come back on me. But now like where I've evolved into running the Mayo media network. So we have nine shows. I'm out trying to get like ad sales done. And I have to sit through these meetings where I'm just like, can you send me an email please? But like, that's taking time out of my day. The thing that I love to do 
doing, why I continue to do the grind is I love sitting in front of this camera, talking into this microphone and talking about fantasy football, shooting the shit with Jeff and Cust on Cust Corner, talking about golf, talking about anything really, Davis. And I think you've captured that really well with the take cast where you've just essentially fused everything that you're excited about in life all into one place and try to tie it all together. But the actual recording of the show is the alluring part to everything. Like that part doesn't go away. That's the fun part. Yeah, I mean, that's why, like, if like if you come down to it, like, all of the the stuff that I do, you know, I, I do the season-long projections for SportsGrid. I do the weekly projections for Daily Roto. You know, I do uh, administrative stuff behind the scenes, you know, you know, corporate stuff. And, like, really, at the end of the day, uh, and, you know, we do the TV show and everything. And really, at the end of the day, and the TV show is fun, but, like, my motivation for doing all of those things is so that I can be paid to do the podcast, so that I can be paid to do the take cast, that I can be paid to do the sports grid fantasy football show, because those would be things that I would want to be doing, you know, if I was working a nine to five at a desk, right? You know, so if I if I was, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, an insurance salesman or whatever, you know, or working in, in marketing for some company, I would still want to be doing some kind of of content creation like you know how pete was doing right pete was working uh his nine to five and still doing you know all of his shows and everything like i would still want to be doing that and so like if i ever feel like god does it really does the 17 percent market share for deontay harris versus uh marquez calloway this week really matter like it's it's very easy for me to zoom out and be like, you know, really it's all, it's all just steps in a row. And like the, I mean, one thing, and Pat, I bet you are familiar with this and Pete too, is like when you work for a fantasy sports company, particularly one that's on like the smaller side, like what, you know, not ESPN, not CBS, not Yahoo, you're going to be asked to wear a lot of different hats, know a lot of different people, have a good working relationship with people who work for other companies. And like, that's something I'm good at is I, I would say probably one of the things I actually bring to the table relative to someone who might be really good with, with spreadsheets and data visualization and stuff is, is my ability to network. And that's actually like a huge thing in fantasy sports. It's funny because I was always pretty, I always felt like, you know, networking, I never did it. So it didn't really, when I came out of college, I went to broadcasting school and I saw a lot of people who had industry connections who end up, who ended up just getting good jobs out of it. They were good. Yeah. I do like they weren't undeserving of those jobs. But they got those jobs because they knew the people who did the hiring. And I found myself like, you know, a decade later, I started my own company and who did I hire? All the people that I knew could do the job because when you're working for a smaller place, like I said, I launched my own company. So it was me doing all the hiring at the onset. Like I, you know, obviously I hired Paul. Uh, I hired my old intern at fantasy because I taught him my content schedule, how I like to work. I was like, you're a very logical fit for me uh, for here. I don't need to spend two months training you on this. I'm going to bring you into the full, but I feel like that is one part of it like doing the great content is one thing like pete you had great content but what made you make the decision to go into fantasy full-time is it because you love doing it is it because you saw the potential to make a lot of money doing this or at least make the same amount of money doing something else that you liked and do you think that the networking part really did help you too like having so many contacts around that would be either willing to hook you up with certain people or give you more exposure or like what made you make that decision yeah, it was, I never, 
I, I never looked at it super pragmatically uh, like that as far as, oh, what networking, what stuff can get you there. I, I felt like I had this luxury uh, safety net of I can just do this stuff on the side at my own time. I never set any arbitrary benchmarks or goals. And I always knew like maybe I could work a little harder. Maybe I could try to monetize things earlier and open doors quicker. But I also didn't want to just kill myself essentially doing two jobs. And I was just kind of always at peace with, I thought I would get there, but I was okay with it happening at a slower trajectory. Then COVID hit and I just had all this runway to do shows nonstop and almost everything that I'm doing now, all those opportunities really came about from just doing a year straight of, you know, six, seven shows a week during, during that. So it was a really unique circumstance that I think kind of, you know, short, or, uh, you know, expedited kind of the trajectory I was on. So it, it's always interesting too, because I remember, you know, talking with like stand up comedians and they used to always say, if you have the safety net of your, your job, you'll never make it. And I always kind of push back against that because I just never wanted things to feel like a grind. I always wanted to find that equilibrium of where I could have my day job, do this as a hobby. And just in the past few months, the scales kind of finally shifted. And I felt like, I can't do all the stuff on the side well that I want to do with the time I have now with having to make myself available for midday meetings. And I, and I just kind of said, all right, now enough is enough. If I'm going to go for this, I need to do it. And, and luckily with some sponsorships with my YouTube channel, with, with underdog, with uh, run the Sims, uh, Pat, who we're going to be doing lots of stuff with this year, it all just kind of came together in a really organic way. I, I agree. But I think that your familiarity with like, who don't you know around the business basically? At the same time that like, whether I, that's, that's always the way that I felt about networking. I wasn't actively trying to do it, but like Davis and I have become friends over there. You and I have become friends over the year. Like that, that in a way itself is networking though, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I guess networking just has this more derogatory, you know, like ladder climbing uh, connotation to it that I guess I, I wouldn't, I think to me though, it is more. Well, yeah, you think of it as like such a douchey thing. Like that's what you hear, like the, the bad guy in like a Hallmark movie, <laughs> like the, the guy, the guy that shouldn't be with the girl in the Hallmark movie is like always busy networking and can't come home to small town Christmas or whatever. Yeah. And I thought I, the way I truly think of it is like when I started out too, it was like, I gravitated toward the content. I like, I made the Swolecast parody video because I loved kitchen and Tuttle and Davis and Silva. Like those are, I, I became, I started doing stuff with Denny Carter because I was consuming and listening to the living the stream podcast. So I always just gravitated to the people I like, and then just started reaching out doing collabs just as almost like fan offerings to these guys. Hey, I really appreciate your stuff. I would love to be in the mix and everything kind of just snowballs from there. And I've found that to be the case when I've done some hiring at Mayo media network now. So like I've tried like, I didn't have any soccer people. So like I, there was a guy who was just you know a viewer of the show, like, Hey, I'm actually pretty good at DraftKings soccer. Do you mind if I give this a try? And he sent me a video. We worked on it for a bit. And like, he's doing MLS picks on the channel now. Like there are ways to is break that, it. Uh, is that, uh, uh, Mar uh, Puccio? No, Puccio I had on for Euro. It's Ethan Kershaw that does the MLS picks for me. Yeah. I, I know Puccio. He's a good deal. That, that guy, that guy does good work. 
Yeah, there, you, there's some networking. Yeah, he he was excellent. And the only reason that I knew about Puccio is because Nando used to be my boss at Fantasy. He's at The Athletic now. And I, I reached out to him. I was like, hey, do you have anyone good that you know about soccer? Like, I'm not super familiar with the soccer space. I know that you are more familiar with this, just managing a bunch of people and seeing people come in, people come out, doing work with you at The Athletic, either on a full-time or freelance basis. Like, can you recommend anyone for me? And like, that's how people are getting jobs. Like, unless you really make a scene it's going to be really hard to upgrade yourself uh, in, in that circumstance without doing any networking. Like the only guy that I can think of, Pete, is your buddy is the counselor who's really done this all by himself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you have that lion mentality, you don't need to network with sheep, Pat. I think it just kind of works out uh, in its way when you're an alpha like that. Yeah. It's tough to do, but like, it's funny to even see like whether it's the character that that Joe is playing, like I've talked to the counselor a few times. I had him on the show. I went on his show, like to talk to him. He's actually like a pretty decent dude, but like the character that he's playing right now, and he really monopolized Instagram early versus a lot of other people who were in the fantasy space. Like everyone's on Twitter, everyone's doing podcasts, so he's just doing Instagram and absolutely crushing it versus everyone else in the space. That was a unique lane that he picked, grew the following up, and now he just gets severe interaction by saying the absolute craziest things possible, Davis. <laughs> but he's essentially doing like the low-rent Tommy G move now. Well, yeah, you know, more more power to him. Uh, yeah, the, I, I think that actually you just hit at a good a good thing there, which is that the world probably doesn't need another fantasy football podcast. The problem, the, the world probably doesn't need another FF dynasty, bro, good times, Twitter <laughs> handle, but like, you know, there is room on YouTube still. I think, I think there is still room on TikTok. I think there is still room on, on Instagram and things like that, because those are spaces that are not nearly um, as exploited in the space as uh you know twitter and podcasts like if i was trying to get into fantasy today i mean obviously you need a twitter but i don't i i would definitely go the youtube route via a podcast like no doubt no doubt about it yeah because i we paired up at run the sims with jake over at the uh the the fantasy football headliners and just to see their following on youtube like i was blown away when i started looking into it. it's like i can't believe how many subs that they have and then i went over and looked at twitter like they have a lot of followers but it's not like the very top end where they kind of dominate youtube just very covertly them and the footballers yeah there's all those corners of youtube where it does still seem relatively untapped when you look at the saturation of you know twitter analysts and podcasts it's disproportionate to the amount of content on youtube and i don't know why do you think that is pat because is it just i mean it is a grind on youtube and it is hard to build uh why do you think you know people don't gravitate there as much as the other mediums I'm not sure because it seems like it would be a lot easier on YouTube because where it's integrated with Google that you actually get SEO value out of it. Like I, I was having this conversation with Holka the other day, Davis, and he's just like, yeah, my YouTube numbers are really good. It's hard to build the audio podcast. And I was like, the only reason that I have a lot of audio podcast listeners because I've had this podcast feed for 11 years because podcasts aren't searchable and discoverable in the same way that a YouTube video is. So that's why I would really like I would tell people to go to YouTube over starting a podcast at this point. Now I just do both. It's the same show on both platforms, but there are certain shows that hit for me big on YouTube versus the podcast and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. I that mean, there, there's no good search functionality for podcasts. Where would you, where would like, 
I, I, most podcasts I find, if it's a new podcast, I find via Twitter or, or like honestly through accident, but I would say 80% of my new podcasts I find through Twitter. And that would be a miserable space to come in and try and start a podcast with, you know, 800 followers or whatever. That's why I always try to recommend that people share the podcast that they like to tell a friend. Cause be like word of mouth is the only way for that stuff to get around. Yeah, the only other thing I can think of is sometimes in those apps they now have, I, I use Pocket Cast because uh, I am uh, apparently regrettably an Android bro, but in Pocket Ugh. Cast they have a like what's trending section. And I, I feel like that might be the only other way to get organic growth. What's on the top of the iTunes charts, what's trending in these podcast apps, but otherwise there's just no kind of organic growth there. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that the established podcasts, especially in the fantasy space, continue to grow while the other ones can't gain traction. Like, I, I always try to equate myself a little bit as sort of like the dummy version of JJ. So JJ has his podcast. He's had it like almost the same amount of time that I've had mine. We used to be big pals. Then we went to different companies. We just can't do content together anymore because both of our contracts state that we can't do that. So that's always tough because we used to do a ton of shows together all the time but so we have these two podcasts and we're both consistently inside the top 10 of the fantasy football charts way behind the footballers i mean in terms of the charts we're not way behind but in terms of like actual downloads it's basically the footballers espn cbs uh fantasy pros like they really dominate that space and it's like me jj the etr guys like the etr guys and their podcast is really sort of the only new-ish podcast that is broken up inside that tier, Davis. Like, And that's because they had Silva and Levitan and Leone and Dink and all these guys to go promote it at the same time. People, people knew. And then they were actively tweeting about it and they had this huge sub base. But other than that, like, how is anyone... I, I've tried to launch a bunch of podcasts recently and if I wasn't the driving force behind them and using my podcast to push people to other podcasts, I don't know if they'd have more than 10 listeners. No, so I, I don't know. I don't know if they would either. Go ahead, Pete. I was just going to say, so here's a question. Cause one thing I, I I've been debating just making a podcast feed for some of my, you know, video streams in the same way, Pat and Davis, you guys will repost stuff. And I've, not because I want to grow a podcast feed, although maybe I should have that goal, but more just because I get requests from people who are like, I, I don't, it's harder for me to watch YouTube on the go or whatever. Will you just upload the audio? My thought is like when I'm doing these drafts, it's way more visual anyways. Should I just get off my ass and, and make a podcast feed and start throwing the audio up there? Yes, absolutely. Yes. A absolutely. Yeah. Like the, the, the sneaky thing about the Pat Mayo experience is that the audio is around five times the viewership of the video. And people okay. just yeah. like, and people never like can figure that out. And when it comes to actual ad sales and monetization, it took a really long time for people to be able to monetize podcasts, audio podcasts properly. But the rate that you'll get for a mid-roll ad in an audio podcast versus something like the mid-roll ad sponsorship from a YouTube video is substantially more. Like unless you have ingrained embedded video sponsorship like pete you do with with run the sims.com like you know run the sims.com yeah. will pay you to promote that because oh you know, that we want to be a part of your content we think that's a great space to get our message out from that and then like that's good like floor money for you to make every week and then you can monetize the youtube version of it too but if you can have a large enough audio podcast there's just a lot more money that comes along with it if you're willing to do the ad sales for it just it's just more valuable because 
people who come onto YouTube and you can see this in like the analytics when you go look at videos, like there's just a lot of people who click on the video and immediately click out. There are very few people that download a podcast and turn it on that don't listen for like at least 10 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that makes sense that people would be less flighty with podcasts than, than videos. So I think yeah. that's why and the ad rate is there. More. There are people, there are people who will listen to both. I, I listen to this podcast called the nine club. And they do three episodes a week. They always upload it to YouTube. I think they have like 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. And they also upload it as a podcast. And the, the episode that they do on Wednesdays has like a heavy video element to it where like I will watch that show on YouTube. Like I, I will like visually engage with it. But the shows on Mondays and Fridays, like, yeah, there is a visual element. Maybe they'll talk about like a picture or something on there. And like, oh, you know, I, I wish I had this pulled up. But I mostly listen to those episodes via podcast so yeah maybe like a draft someone like a, they'd want to be seeing the the main event board or or whatever but there's a lot of content you do that would be that people would be fine engaging with via just an audio medium this summer bespoke post is here to take your adventure to the next level with a new line of must-have box of awesome collections Bespoke Post partners with small businesses and emerging brands to bring you the most unique goods every single month. I got my box of awesome, and frankly, the bag is the huge selling point, but there was just a collection of awesome things inside of it. There was a knife inside of mine. I got an outdoorsy one, but this bag is going to probably be in my life for the next 20 years now because it's the perfect size. It's not too big, it's not too small, but it has good girth to it or good gangth, and it just holds an awful lot of stuff. So when I have to travel, I'm going overnight, that's what I got in my box of awesome. And the great thing was that it was filled with stuff when it came to So no matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From travel to outdoor gear to breezy summer styles and grooming goods, Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. To get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel anytime. Each box only costs 45 bucks, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. And you can get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the promo code PME at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com code PME for 20% off your first box. Well, I can tell you, too, that, like, the most popular show all year that I do audio-wise is me, Feinberg, and Cust, Wednesday Pick Show. It's not even close. Uh, it does almost double what any of the other audio podcasts do for me. But it is probably my least popular YouTube video of the week. That is something that people have said that I would just rather listen to this rather than watch it. Like, there's, there's no discernible reason for you to watch it unless you really like looking at me or really like looking at Jeff like that is the perfect audio podcast for the format of that show however something like the ranking show that I do with Jake Seeley people really like that in the video version because they can see the rankings on the screen while we're talking about it that does well audio wise but it doesn't do nearly as well as the video version does so I, I can see what you're saying with that is I think some people tune into audio for certain things some people tune into video for other things yeah, that that makes sense too. And I, I'm I'm the same way personally. I barely watch any YouTube, but I'll listen to all kinds of stuff 
on the go on podcasts, doing chores in the car at the gym. So I, I, it doesn't make sense why I haven't made a podcast feed considering that's how I would probably prefer to consume as well. So I appreciate the encouragement. I will put that on my to-do list for today. Well, the biggest thing too, is that once you're done with a video file, like making the podcast, if it's just essentially a repurpose of it, like I have to go add in an ad or something like that, or if I mix two videos together as a part of a longer podcast, like that's one thing that I found out over time that doing too many shows was bad for my podcast feed where especially in football season like I'll record my golf show on Monday evening and release it but then I'll do the rankings on Tuesday morning and release it and then I'll release the spread pick show around like midnight on Tuesday like that's just too much going on on my thread so I'll release the video for the golf but I'll hold it till the next day and make the rankings and the golf all one podcast so it's not <clears throat> monopolizing from any of the other ones and then <clears throat> oh, my voice is going now and it keeps your numbers down because only so many people like if let's say people have auto downloads turned on on itunes or apple podcast davis that if you release one at like midnight and then another one at like 10 o'clock in the morning you're just not going to get the same amount of auto download so it actually hurts your itunes rating at the same time now i know this is just really weird stuff like to the consumer none of that means anything like oh i don't give a shit about listening right. to golf. i only want to listen to football or vice versa so it kind of sucks that i put it in the same show but for me to stay in the apple charts which is important to my business like i had to make that switch and that's sort of when i talk about like the shitty part of the job like Figuring out that stuff and learning about that stuff is the shitty part of the job. But I think it's important if you want to do this full time. And that's the thing I was wrestling with. And you mentioned that earlier about how the administrative stuff starts to weigh on you as I feel like there's this fine line between what are what are things you're actually curious about learning about like i've launched uh my shopify store in the past month and i've actually had a good amount of fun learning the ins and outs how does drop shipping work how does fulfillment work all this kinds of stuff but then there's other things that i'm just not remotely intellectually curious about like on the accounting side and you know having to pay you know contractors and all of this stuff like i would love if i could offload that to someone else but when you're doing this all on your own it's hard to actually pick and choose what you do you basically just have to do it all because there's only there's only so much money to go around and you need a certain baseline for yourself in order to live and you can't like you then have to tackle all these jobs that maybe you're not familiar with or maybe you can't even do a great job with but you have to piece it together davis uh because if you start paying someone else to do that job now you're doing your work for free again Right, exactly. I mean, and that is why I, you know, one of the one of the things you would learn in pretty much any industry these days is like just learning some self-sufficiency, being able to do things yourself. Like Pete, you do your own like YouTube thumbnails, right? And that saves you, that saves you money, that saves you time. And like it's something pretty small. Uh, you know, any anything that uh is like a relatively minor to learn task that most people would have to outsource that you can learn to do yourself is massive and you know not even necessarily in in the positions for the three of us but if you are looking to get into the fantasy space the ability to do multiple things with like some competency is pretty big like if you can handle your spreadsheets if you are i mean good on audio video i mean that would be that would be the biggest thing i would tell anyone right it's like if you're not if you're not good on audio if you're not good on tv 
um, the, the space is definitely moving away from you, but having the proficiency in the spreadsheets, having the proficiency with the data is also very important. Cause like, for example, in my job, like I do both, like I do TV five days a week, I do the podcast. And then I also, you know, manage all of these projections. And if I wasn't able to do all of those things, uh, you know, I would be certainly much less valuable from like a, a corporate perspective. Well, Pete, how did you learn all the technical stuff? in terms of video editing and video production, because that is the single hardest thing to do because it's such a foreign world to everyone. Like I went to school to learn this stuff and I did. So did Paul. That's where we met. So I knew, I knew that he knew what I knew about video production and everything like that. But even when we went into the streaming world, like there was a lot that we just continued to had to learn and learning that from scratch has got to be tough. Yeah. And I was luckily able to use just my energy and and enthusiasm for some of the video projects I was working on. And just, I, I remember my best example was I had done this, uh, I do this character, Pete Manzanelli, and I had done this event called the Broathlon with uh, guys you guys know, Jonathan Bales and Adam Levitan. And I had all this incredible footage of us getting drunk, doing these ridiculous things. And I was transitioning from iMovie to Final Cut Pro. I was like, I'm done with iMovie. Doesn't have all the bells and whistles I need to do these things, but I have no clue how to use Final Cut Pro. And I sat down with all this raw footage and I spent just two days straight. I probably did legit 20 hours just Googling how to do this, how to do this. I wanna do this effect, how do I do this? And just doing that one video through like 20 hours, I got a video that was decent and I basically taught myself Final Cut Pro. And so for me, those things, and when I say taught myself, I mean like baseline uh, competency with it. And so I just use my curiosity to figure out how to do new things. But I have felt for video editing, I'm again, I'm competent, but I don't have the curiosity or the desire now to learn new stuff. And I actually am paying people now more to help edit videos for me because I just don't like spending my time doing that. Yeah, I see like Holka is another one who's very self-taught. He does really good short form, like taking his long form stuff and then transitioning it with graphics, with editing into social media videos to post on different platforms. And that's all self-taught on his end. Like when we have a problem around here, Davis, like Paul jumps on YouTube. There's no answer there. He's on message boards trying to find similar yep. problems that people have gotten into. And it feels like that's a really hard step to make because it does feel like it requires a little bit of baseline knowledge or curiosity to begin with. But if it's something you feel like you're forced to have to do, you might just not ever do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, learning in general, we're going to engage with our neuroplasticity better if it's something that you want to do. If you're going into a task and you are really stressed out. Um, no, I mean, if you get your adrenaline firing enough, you you can learn something faster, but like learning Final Cut Pro, you're probably not gonna be engaging with your adrenaline. So it's gonna be very hard to learn that. So in general, to get your brain to actually learn things, you have to be generating curiosity from a natural way. Like it's very hard to learn something if at like a very base mental level, you are, not interested in it. And so like learning how to do YouTube thumbnails, I, I assume at the beginning for Pete, that was something that was fun. And then maybe at, maybe at a certain point, like now when you're doing, you know, your week four uh, splash play, like DFS podcast graphic, you're like, dude, I just wish that I could snap my fingers and have this being done. But originally when you were originally learning it, it was fun. Yeah, uh, it is. It is. The one thing I will say is I've done so many of them that I have my process completely streamlined. I have a folder archive of 
photos of Pat Mayo with a transparent PNG background. I have photos of Davis Maddock. When we hop on a show, I can easily pull those up. I kind of know my workflow and I can bang it out in a way that doesn't you know, feel too cumbersome. And I think that's also the key. Like, what are the things, the tasks that you can almost automate or batch process in a way where it doesn't, you know, take extra thought where I really get hung up is when I have a new project I have to tackle and I know I don't have to do it. And I know I need to block out two hours to do an hour of reading and tutorials, then some trial and error. That's where I really get overwhelmed. The stuff I know I can bang out in five minutes. I'm like, all right, let's just do this. So I think that's super, I'm exactly the same way. There's so much, like I've had this game show, Davis, the raw footage for it for over a year yeah. now. I have all of the graphic templates built, but I still have to go back in, fill out all the templates, which is probably going to take like three hours to do because I don't know how to use the templates yet. So there's a trial and error part that, and I know that there are certain parts of the show that need to be cut and certain parts that need to be sliced together. And I lost the sheet where I had all my notes on it of where to make all those cuts. So I actually have to watch through like an hour of raw footage, go through, make all the cuts, make all the time codes, correlate the boards with everything, bring them up at the right time. Like it's going to be like a legit two day event for this like half hour show that I don't think that anyone's going to watch anyway. So I just have not got off my ass in order to do it. But what Pete hit on about having these folders with different pictures into it. So A, you save a ton of time because you're not re-downloading the same stuff all the time. And I think that understanding what's important to the process and what can be templated like I have so many templates, it is ridiculous for almost everything <laughs> for almost every single style of show I do. Like, you know, what really doesn't mean anything. The YouTube write up of something. It just it has to reflect yeah. what the video is actually about. But I just like for the golf show every single week, like I change the name of it. Pat Mayo and Jeff Feinberg make their picks for control F tournament search and replace tournament. And it changes all my SEO tags for the video element of it. I kind of structure the same, sh the show the same way every single week. I just go change those time codes. I change the name of the course, but that's done. That takes like 28 seconds. But if I was to do that from scratch every single week and didn't have a plan of it going in, that would take me like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, to like brainstorm. Like, Oh yeah. What do I use here? What do I want to title this? Same thing as Pete with the thumbnails. Like, You've given yourself the options, but now it's an efficiency thing. Like you're not spending the most creative time in the world on stuff like that. So I guess my point is, Davis, how organized are you today versus what you were six years ago? So I am much more organized now. I pretty much have a, a schedule of everything that I know that I need to do. I could, I could always be more organized. You know, sometimes I am scrambling for a podcast guest, or, you know, I, I really, I should have posted the show on Wednesday morning. I didn't post it until Wednesday afternoon, things like that. But in terms of like, especially my in-season NFL DFS, like workflow, like I have everything mapped out on Google calendar. Uh, like I know like, okay, Tuesday, I am going from top to bottom, every team in the NFL, I'm going to rework all the projections and get them in a good place. I know that I have, okay, the podcast has to be done and posted by this time. And I, and I know like, okay, this article has to be posted on this day. And I have that all set up. We actually just did real, real behind the curtain stuff. We just did a huge redo to our sheet process for how we do projections on dailyroto.com, which is going to hopefully free up a bunch of hours of my week uh, in terms of like going and like looking up market share stuff. Cause before I would kind of have to use a separate tool on our website to go and find things. But now all of the data is actually displayed 
in the sheet that we do projections on. So that is like, that's super nice. But I, I know Pete is actually even more hyper-organized. Like he, he has his whole thing mapped out. I mean, I've, I've talked to Davis about it, but I've just, I basically had to buckle down because I just got too overwhelmed with checking in on group chats, checking in on Discord. You know, this year, the my Discord has gotten very big, partly because of the NFT boom. There's a whole channel that I'm barely involved in that's the most active channel in my Discord. But all of these things start to just suck time out of your day. And I, I'm not able to get everything done unless I'm time blocking. And I've noticed that, and what I mean by time blocking is basically instead of having a to-do list, I just put those to-do lists on my calendar directly. And I found that it's massive, just the difference being like, you're going to do this thing today versus you're going to do this thing at this time. It feels non-negotiable when it's on the calendar. And my days are legitimately night and day different when I schedule out my day. If I don't schedule it out, I'm wasting all kinds of time. Oh, why don't I just hop in a draft right now instead of doing this work? Whereas if I have my things to do at certain times, I bang it out. I, it's non-negotiable. And so that's been then huge for me. And I will say, I still don't time block every day. I get lazy and then those days aren't good. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly what happens to me. It's funny that you say you, you scramble for podcast guests, Davis. That's why I use the same people every single week. Like <laughs> yep. we're, we're going to get into a part of the season like this happens because I, I like to use my DraftKings show, whether it be for golf or for NFL, as a rotating spot every single week where I can get, I mean, it's not... That is an information and pick show. So I like to have really good, sharp people on for that one. And I like to you know, spread the love around. I don't want, you know, if I get Levitan to do it one week, I'm like, hey, Adam, can you do this for 18 straight weeks? Like, that's a big ask from someone. Yeah. Get, getting him to do it twice a year, you know, two Thursdays a year, he can swing that. Or you can swing that. Pete can swing that. And then you can have different voices, and having different voices on your show, show will only help the show grow at the same time. Because, like, someone might say, like, oh, hey, I'm a Davis fan. I'm going to tune into this show. Oh, this show's not bad. Maybe I'll watch it next week when someone else is on as well. So booking your guests strategically that way. But I find myself a lot of the time with those shows being like an hour before like, hey, Raza, can you jump on, man? <laughs> yeah, no. And so like, I mean, you know, to really take people behind the curtain, like the, they, it's actually funny. The the fantasy football show, I don't have ever have anyone, you know, it's never a problem. Like Karain can do it. Gretch can do it. Reeves will do it, you know, so like somewhat one of my buddies will have a morning or an afternoon available like that's never a problem. What what is I have trouble getting guests for is for the take cast where like I want to do different things with that show like I, I want it to be you know one show I want it to be about uh, you know, crypto legislation, one show I wanted to be like with a, pro, you know, pro, pro golfer or like, you know, so, and, and I am always sending out emails to like really famous people, uh, you know, just, just to see, cause you never know, like, uh, you know, I've gotten some authors on, uh, you know, Ethan Sherwood Strauss, like all, all kinds of people, but like that takes real planning. Cause you can't reach out to someone you don't know and be like, Hey dude, are you, uh, you happen to be free this afternoon? And like, sometimes I'll think that's lined up. Like I'll, I'll reach out to someone, their publicist will get back to me and they'll be like, yeah, like we can maybe do that. And then I won't have like a backup and plan. And then if that ever falls through that, that's basically when I'm like, Hey, Pat, do you want to do the show? Hey, Pete, do you want to do the show? Uh, so there's, there's that peak behind the curtain. Yeah. If, yeah. if you ever see Peter, I on the take cast, it's because a guest <laughs> fell through last second. That's, that's pretty much 100% accurate. It, and I wrestle with this a ton because 
one huge positive of having the same type of guests is the rapport is really good. Like, yeah. Also, it's easy for the host. Davis knows when we come on to the take cast that it's going to just be a free flowing conversation. There doesn't have to be a lot of prep, but there's also kind of a depth to our relationships where there's lots of stuff to mind. There's callbacks to jokes. There's lots of kind of wells we can go back to. And I think listeners really enjoy that. I wrestle with that for booking my randomizer guests a lot because I want to get new people in there. But what happens sometimes is the prompts and the suggestions and the shows are more electric when it's guests that my audience is extremely familiar with, or when I have rapports with people like when I, you know, I do a show with Jack Settlement every week, but the, so the prompts for the randomized were so good because people felt comfortable dicking around with us. I have Bill Barnwell on who I love and was great, but everyone's giving him kind of trivia questions. They're not making him pour a beer into a Frisbee and drink it just because there's not that level of familiarity there. So I wrestle with that all the time of just playing the hits versus pushing outside your comfort zone. I think that if you can, I mean, that's essentially what Cuss Corner was when we first started that, Davis, was just like, hey, this is kind of fun yep. to do. We all enjoy doing it. And now people have really come to like that show. Yeah, I mean, that is, uh, I would assume that other than the pick show, like what what you get the most like social media commentary on and the most interaction with is that. And, and um, you know, kind of actually one, one of two things will happen. Um, you know, I'll bring on someone to the take cast who like, I'm like, this dude is the best. I love your book. I love your, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, sometimes it'll be really good. Like, uh, uh, I remember when Andy, uh, from club top shot came on and we got like really deep into the crypto space. That one was really big. Or, um, I had Ryan doubt on the show who is, uh, you know, really high stakes, like poker player and DFS player. I like and that, that show. I like yeah, that one. That one got like loads of listens. Right. Uh, but then sometimes I'll have a guy on, uh, like I, I had, uh, I actually remember I had Jonathan Wilson on who is an author. He is like, to me, he is like the, the best writer about soccer that there is in the world. And, but because my audience doesn't really care that much about that, like it, it, it was fine. Like it didn't like, it wasn't like no one listened to it, but I thought that one would be like, oh, this is going to get loads of listens. This is going to get lots of social media traction. And it didn't. And I, and I can't ever really predict those things. Like I, I never know which episode is going to be like a banger and which one is just going to be, you know, another episode. That's what happens to me with my challenge shows. Like sometimes like when Paul <laughs> and I used to do it, like, and we would do it every week at the same time, every week, like that's. I mean, P, how much have you found that out that the consistency of when your shows start, when your shows come out is like half the battle? Yeah, yes. it, 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 it really is. I, I do think people knowing uh, what's going to be coming, what type of show, what stuff uh, they're getting into. I think that really helps. I've been a little bad with it because similar to you guys, sometimes I get the guest book well in advance and I can promote that. Sometimes I don't. And so it's harder to promote, but I was messing around with creating a little bit of a weekly schedule and posting that in the YouTube community tab, posting it in my discord. Hey, here's the shows. Here's the guests build excitement. People can kind of mark their own calendar. I do a lot of shows at night. And so I always assume people need to plan around that. I actually did some polls in my discord because I was contemplating moving some of my shows to the afternoon, like the randomizer one. I was like, could I do this on the late afternoon, figuring people would rather watch when they're at work. And almost all the feedback I got were from people who, you know, either had uh, obligations or they had kids and they're like, no, we like doing our thing in the evening, having dinner, putting the kids down and then watching the show. And I was like, wow, 
Uh, it was me selfishly who wanted to do it in the afternoon so I could free up my evening, but that wasn't actually how a lot of my viewers were consuming the content. Yeah, Javis, do you struggle with trying to provide content with how people like to consume it versus what you would actually want to do? Because I struggle with that a lot. Like I always do this late Friday night record. I fucking hate it. But when else are you, it would not make sense to record like an injury show at any other time. Yeah, yeah, you can't do you can't do an injury show on Thursday in the afternoon. Um, so I I actually for the fantasy football show I take like lots of feedback. Like uh, actually some of the episodes that Karen and I have done the last couple of weeks were literally like a couple of people were like, "Will you guys just do a show about wide receivers and like which ones you want to take at ADP and which ones you don't?" And that was a whole episode. Uh, you know the zero RB stuff. People people want the picks. They like okay from doing zero RB, which guys do we take? So we did that. Um, so like with that show, I'm, I'm cool taking more listener feedback with the take cast. Uh, I pretty much just do what I'm interested in. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. And it's, it's good. It's nice for me to have those multiple outlets. Um, like I, I feel like Pat, like there's gotta be times where you feel frustrated with your feed because you might really want to have on a guest to talk about something and then they come on and you just like, people are like, what, what is this? Like, I'm not engaging with this at all. Yeah. It sucks. And I, I, I get super amped about it and I just go look at the numbers like, Oh, this is the lowest rated show I've ever done in my entire life. And I was like, I thought it was a good show. I, th and like, I thought it was interesting, but selling people on stuff you're interested in when it's not something that you normally do is really hard because this community is so micro. And I think that people really forget about that, that these broad ranging topics aren't necessarily what your audience wants to listen to. Like, I have a feeling that this is not going to be our highest rated show, Pete. You know what? It, it might not be, but I will say, and I, I assume it's one of the reasons we're doing it. And Davis and I have done some of these, you know, talking shop shows too. I did one with Holka and Jordan, who is the guy who actually helped me set up my, um, uh, uh, my Shopify store, a guy behind the scenes who is a wizard with that stuff. And people do really enjoy these peels behind the curtain. It doesn't necessarily have the mass appeal as, uh, you know, the top five running back sleepers to take this year. But I think some of the our most engaged fans really, really value this kind of content. Oh, absolutely. And I think it appeals to the industry as well, which is nice because people in the industry are usually good people who will share the show around like, hey, I found this interesting. You might too. Or like this show sucks. Never listen to this. With me, you can never really tell with how this is going to come out. But I mean, partial reason that I'm doing this, I just recorded with Holka before this. Like I'm, I'm now into like hour four of recording shows straight. It's because it's two weeks before football. I'm going away this weekend. I'm going to be gone for three days and I need content that's going to last that I can air while I'm gone. Davis, I've gone seven straight years and have not missed a show because I always have shows in the bank, shows in the can, that if I get sick or if I go on vacation, I've done at least four shows a week every week for the past seven years. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's pretty, I, I have pre-recorded episodes before to go on vacation, but there certainly has been times where a show has been up late or, you know, I've uploaded a show on Thursday when they're supposed to be up on Wednesday, things like that. So as always, uh, someone is willing to work a little bit harder than me and, uh, and I'm okay with that. that that's a plan, but that is a pure planning thing though. Like I really have to look in advance being like, oh, I'm going away for three days with my wife or I'm going to play golf for three days here. Like what feasibly can I talk about on this date that isn't going to be out of date when this show airs? Like it, it, that's going to happen. I mean, or you can just say, fuck it. I'm going on vacation. Fuck all of you. And I, maybe I should be doing that. I, I think that's probably healthy from time to time too. I don't know. What, what's your take on it, Pete? 
Well, yeah, it's something I've actually encountered just recently because last weekend I was in Vegas for four nights. This past weekend, we were with some of our uh, friends up in Maine. And I generally have always had the like all in or all off thing where it's like, I want to work really hard during the week and then I don't want to do anything on the weekends. I'm now writing the newsletter every day. And so I was getting up hungover in Vegas and, and writing the newsletter and kind of getting used to working and playing in the same way, which is still a hard transition for me. I guess I'll say I've gotten better about not necessarily worrying if I have uh, a regular show that I didn't do. Like I do the Monday morning best ball stream every Monday. I didn't do that one when I was in Vegas. I was like, you know what? I can just survive. And maybe uh, that's why I I'm leaving growth and, and opportunities uh, out there because I'm not, you know, thinking ahead in that way, but I'm always just trying to find that balance and making sure I don't burn out. And so not stressing about missing stuff occasionally is kind of one way I avoid burnout. I, I think that's a much healthier way to look at it and something that I think after this football season, I'm really going to be trying to put in place. Like if I have to miss the Byron Nelson pick show for a week, Davis might have, <laughs> might have to miss it. And I think that people will be okay with that. I always worked under the impression though, just because I've seen it happen so often is that the moment you're not doing something, you might be on the outs. And I, I think I have enough of an established community, listeners, viewers who are highly supportive. They'd be like, hey, Pat, go take a vacation, man. It's okay. And I, I feel like I know that's the answer, but I've just seen it to people. Like they leave their desk for a week. They come back and they don't have a job anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I feel like in your position, it's less, that's less likely to happen, right? You have the Mail Media Network. It's a, it's a pod feed that people subscribe. You could even... Pat, you could even do like uh, like classic episodes, like you could like rebroadcast episodes oh, and that's stuff. A, like that's, that's a, something. That's a good idea. I'm gonna write that. Uh, that that's something <laughs> that. Uh, uh, so like the first podcast that like everyone listened to when podcasts were first a thing, stuff you should know. I bet you guys listened to it like 11 years ago or whatever. Um, they do on Saturdays. They rebroadcast old episodes. They call it stuff you should know selects, right? And like that is like that's a great idea. Like. Pat, you have like a million episodes you could go from five years ago. You could pull up, you know, some evergreen episode. And when you're gone, you could repost it. And someone who just subscribed to the show a year before, they never would have found it. Bada bing, bada boom, new episode, new content for them. Davis, you've allowed me to go take a vacation. Last thing, since you guys got to get out of here, because this is a hard scheduling thing to get the three of us on the go at this time. Pete, you're new to full time, but you've been around for a while. If someone's just starting or has been grinding in fantasy right now, what would you tell them in order to be for them to be able to make a career out of this? Like, what should they be doing? I would say spend less time on Twitter. <laughs> yes. I mean, that is honestly one of the, uh, the best things, uh, you could do build, build somewhere else, build on YouTube, build on TikTok, build a podcast, get off Twitter. The there's really diminishing returns there in my opinion, other than just having fun in the replies of your friends. Uh, my main thing is like you said, at the top of the show, we joked around about IDP. Maybe it's not IDP find a niche that hasn't been oversaturated yet. And that you love. You can't just go do, I can't go do IDP content, even though I think there's a void. I don't enjoy it. I would burn out within about four hours of reading that content. So find something that is both uh, underserved in the market and that you really, really enjoy engaging with. And then also just be realistic that it's going to take a while, but because you love the thing you are working on, it's not going to feel like a chore. And I think if you can triangulate that, something that's underserved that you really enjoy, 
and have patience, I think you can succeed. Uh, I would agree with that. Whatever you're talking about, you should have a lot of interest in because that is going to translate and, or whether you're writing about it. Like there's a reason that I don't talk a ton about best ball. Like I can talk about best ball. I do best ball drafts, but it's just, it's not something that I'm highly passionate about. Like, like you guys are, you guys love doing drafts, like wherever you are. Like I don't. I'd rather just go to the driving range for an hour and like go hit balls or something like that. I feel like that would just be another extension of my job that I don't want to do. I'm also grinding golf like full time as a part of this as well. So now like it's a tougher transition when you guys are Davis, when you need to do content in, you know, late June, you can talk about best ball drafts that are going on where I just lean full time on golf for that. So I don't quite get into it. So I would say that's one thing, like be passionate about what you're talking about. 100%. I would also Davis really tell people to figure out what that, when I say that don't be on Twitter, I just mean like, don't be like randomly, like answer people's questions on Twitter, put out thoughtful tweets, share your stuff, but don't be like the bickering people on Twitter who just spend all their time bickering on Twitter and don't fucking do anything. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, that's uh, been a real hurdle for me is to not argue with, with egg accounts and actually to be a little bit more strategic about the stuff I put out there. And uh, I mean, to your point, Pat, I'm literally doing uh, an underdog best ball fantasy football fast draft right now because uh, I love it. I, can't, I literally can't get enough of it. My advice to people would be if you really you think fantasy football is your thing, you want to make it a career, I would say get as good as you possibly can get on camera. Um, you know, learn to not be nervous on camera, learn to have like a good facial expression, uh, you know, like get rid of, get rid of facial tics, like all of that stuff, because that is the direction that the people who have access to a budget to pay people are going. And if you're not good on camera, you're not good on podcasts, uh, there, there is going to be less and less work for you. And the work that you will have is going to be very competitive work. There are going to be a lot of people who are willing to do it for, less money uh yeah for free basically so i i would really encourage you if you really want to do that to uh get very good at being on camera well i'm gonna let you guys go because i've pressed about all of your time right now at davis maddock on twitter subscribe to the take cast podcast sportsgrid.com dailyroto.com subscribe to pete overzet's youtube channel and follow matt pete overzet on twitter and then you'll have even more reasons to follow these guys and find out about their content the last thing that I we there's two more hours of this we can talk about the final tips that I'll leave you with. Um, find a way for an escape if you're doing this. I go to the gym. I know Davis goes on like the treadmill and does drafts. Like when I'm at the gym, I just pump in music. I don't think about this shit at all, and it really does clear my head that I can come back fresh. And I feel like going to the gym gives me energy to keep this going. Like if I'm going to be recording eight hours a day, like I need to have strength and energy and feel good all day long to keep up that energy level. And number two, besides knowing the technical stuff is figure out a way to monetize this stuff, figure out ad sales, figure out SEO and figure out a way to monetize your content. Because if you own your content, the sky is the limit for the amount of money that you can make. If you're working for someone else, it's like any job. You own the stuff, it's going to be more difficult, it's going to be harder work, but you're going to get paid full on what your content is worth versus someone else owning your content and them getting paid and them then paying you after the fact. So keep those two things in mind. Sometimes it's inevitable, sometimes it's a gamble that you can take, but think about those two things in particular when it comes to creating your own content. Smash like in the comment section. Please give me your underserved part of the fantasy community. Oh yeah, last one just talk about football gambling if you want to make money in the future not fantasy football because that's where all the money is right now shockingly enough correct uh, i will leave the, leave you with that so learn how to gamble even if you don't gamble a ton learn how to talk about it so you can do content for it smash like sub leave the comment i'm pat mayo i'll see you next time you have no experience 
Brilliance! Brilliance!